Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us Fridays at this time for the weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Oh, thank you. Good to be with you. So I guess a uh, statue of King BB is not a great idea, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I guess not. <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you. Maybe it's premature. <laughs> it's funny. When that happened earlier in the week, I started saying to myself, because that was one of the speculations, that if President Obama would have been allowed to run for a third term, he would have won. That was one of the you know, themes in the media uh, over the last year or so. And obviously, one of the big differences between here and in Israel are term limits. And it's and it's not just asking you whether it's a good idea for Israel. I was saying to myself, do you know if there were term limits, you know what it would put an end to? It would put an end to all these early elections that they call for. The prime minister would have to do everything in his power to make sure there was no early election because he would want just the opposite of what he, of what he wants now, and that is to complete his full term. Don't you think that would have a, a direct effect on the way politics works in Israel? I'm not sure anything can affect the way politics <laughs> works in Israel, but, uh, but uh, I think the prime minister... Uh, benefits from and also shares a burden from the the system as it is, not just the question of term limits, but because of the coalition uh, system really does hamper them many times, and because small parties can therefore have excessive leverage in uh, in threatening to bring down a government, and nobody has the patience for elections uh, again in Israel, and it does not seem that they they will be imminent, but... um, you know, I think uh, some of the some of the glorification is also sometimes counterproductive. Do you remember any significant discussion in Israel regarding the possibility of term limits, or, or maybe we should call it time limits, for leadership as prime minister? Was there ever anything you recall in terms of a serious conversation about that? A serious conversation about. About term limits, about you know, actually limiting the amount of time that someone could be prime oh, minister of oh, Israel. Does it come up in Israel? Yeah. Certainly, oh, it it's does come, up come up many times. But again, the system itself—don't forget—the average government of Israel lasts two and a half years. Right. This is uh, the exception uh, that Netanyahu and Netanyahu, you know, bypassed Ben Gurion as the longest-serving prime minister about two weeks ago. Uh, so, th- yes, there have been numerous attempts or, or suggestions, both of reform of the system. Some reforms were enacted, but uh, not about uh, uh, limiting the number of years or the terms. But you see Merkel is running again. Right. You see that in Europe, Israel follows the European system much more than the American. Were there airstrikes from Israel to Hezbollah bases in Syria this week? There are. It is most likely that Israeli missiles hit um certain specified targets in in Syria where there may have been an attempt to transfer sophisticated weapons or even more alarming chemical weapons uh, according to press reports not based on any inside information but the words of the defense minister would certainly indicate that the, he was acknowledging or, or uh, hinting at in very blatant terms the actions that were taken over the last couple of weeks uh, but it's interesting that in the last strikes they did not use airplanes because they struck near the the um, Damascus base, the military air force base, because you have the S-300s. Remember the Russian um, anti-aircraft system, the defense, the missile defense system that, that was in place uh, in, in around Damascus 
that the Russians uh, sold, I guess, to Syria. Um, and if, if in fact, they used airplanes, that would have activated the systems. The missiles do not. Wow. It doesn't give them enough time. So Israel used what seems to be surface-to-surface missiles to take out uh, some key targets. Uh, I think they try to avoid any kind of civilian casualties, and they, they hit really at the targeted site. Now, right. that, number one, shows that they have very good intelligence if they're able to know about the shipments and exactly where they're located. And the people have reported that the explosions were, were uh, large uh, as a result of the attacks. Um, why would Hezbollah go out of their way to promise Russia no retaliation against Israel? Because no one wants to see that border heat up. Nobody wants to see... Including uh, them, including the enemy including the enemy, because they know that, that if they allow Israel to act now, they will obliterate the 150,000 missiles, or many of them, that Israel will take whatever action is necessary. And Israel, on its part, must send the message that they will not tolerate this, so there will be no escalation. We've seen numerous attempts you know, to move near the Golan, to move troops near the Golan, and the recent actions that uh, liberated, in their words, parts of Aleppo from the rebel groups, you know, with this constant bombardment by Russia and the attacks by the Syrian army and and especially aided by the Hezbollah and the militia groups, the Iranian militia and other groups that are there, uh, has opened a direct corridor to the to the Golan from their power bases. So it, it, it poses an additional threat that Israel has to monitor all the time and i think that the russians have set limits also and perhaps that's the result of the discussions between putin and netanyahu and others that um that they will not allow the escalation that israel would have to be free to to take the actions it deems essential and they've demonstrated great patience until now because they've been we know that the Hezbollah has built up its capacity. We see it in the equipment that they are bringing into into Lebanon, that they have very modern APC, you know, uh, personnel carriers and, and uh, even tanks and other equipment. So for Israel, the margin is very, very small because yeah. they have that huge capacity underground in, in, uh, in, in southern Lebanon uh, and are... We remember they were caught as they tried to uh, build certain capacities near the Golan. Right. I mean, uh, is that the bigger factor, the Russian contribution to this? Because, you know, we know that, you know, there's, there's been so much criticism over the years of Israel's preparedness or lack thereof up north. Uh, and, and it seems just a different atmosphere now. Is it a combination of both that Israel simply is much more prepared than they were five, ten years ago? And then, of course, the Russian element, as you just said, with them, with him ready to safeguard things for Netanyahu a bit? Is it the two things together that have led to a more stable situation for Israel there? Well, Israel has taken many precautions in terms of their dealings with Hezbollah. Hezbollah is uh, a, a serious threat because of its capacity, you know, with a, a hundred and perhaps thirty, forty thousand missiles of different sizes um, and the, their deployment. The, the fact is that they are now battle-tested, having fought in Syria. This is not Hezbollah of, of earlier years. And their capacity, while they've lost a lot of people in the fighting, the fact is that their capacity, by virtue of the arms shipments and their relationship with Iran, has increased. So, yeah, Russia does not want to see an escalation. I don't think the Iranians want to see 
uh, Israel given the trigger for uh, for an all-out assault on, on that capacity that they built up because, you know, they, they pay for a lot of it. And I think the... the um, Israel has done, you know, training on the, in the Golan to evacuate up to half a million people to do other things to uh, as a precaution so that the civil defense is, is in place, but also that Israel has to act preemptively because they can't allow uh, a buildup in the Golan. It could be that, you know, Assad and the others will one day decide, look, you know, we want to unite everybody, and what better to unite people than turn him against Israel. Right. I don't think it's imminent. It, it, it's like, I know it's overstating the obvious, but sometimes we forget that it's not just about you know manpower, it's not just about being prepared. And there's also a whole political factor which goes into uh, you know whether uh, in fact a country or a terror group would be inclined to attack or not. And sometimes we forget that part of it. Um, the settlement bill, so essentially this bill uh, would legalize, I guess we would say uh, retroactively, uh, a number of thousands of uh, residences, right, uh, homes in different settlement, what's called settlement areas of Israel. Uh, I think I've explained that correctly. If I have, then uh, th- the latest is that there's a push in Israel to keep this bill on the table and not and not go to its finality until after the inauguration of President Trump. Is that is that this, assess the situation properly? I think that's the the reasoning, and um, it, it passed one reading. It has to pass three, and the and I know Netanyahu has not wanted to see this pass. It, it will evoke uh, reaction in the international community, and if we don't want to see action at the UN, if we don't want to see declarations uh, recognizing Palestinian state or taking sanctions against Israel, uh, then. The people who who uh, are, are people are expressing concern about this legislation, uh, and would likely use it as a as uh, an excuse or a cover for that kind of action. And I think that um, the, the the gains one has to weigh against the potential losses or reaction uh, to it. So timing is very essential, and I think everybody wants to make sure that. Uh, and, and, and they should not push everything off on the next administration because they're also going to have limits. And it's it's a question of what will happen at the U.N. It's a question of what will happen in other fora uh, as a response to this. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, yeah, that's that's what I'm wondering about. It could be wishful thinking to think that there'll be a different reaction from the United States after January the 20th. So that's, <coughs> excuse me, so that's one situation involving this that you just described in terms of the, you know, trying to balance whether it's a good idea for this bill to go forward um, when there's that threat, the U.N. threat, you know, Palestinian statehood threat or recognition of Palestine, whatever you want to call it, you know, on the other side. Then there's the other issue that this bill is is being looked at politically in Israel as sort of a balance to the whole Amona situation. Uh, there are people there are people who think that there'll be there'll be a less violent and less of a strong reaction to the uh, disengagement from Amona if, in fact, this settlement bill goes through is that somewhat unrealistic because i would assume that people i'm just assuming that people are really gearing up for this battle and we're going to see yet again the israeli army and police against civilians uh in a very heated battle no matter what happens uh toward the end of the amona situation i can't predict it but uh, i certainly hope not and i think you're right in pointing to the concern and the the attempt to uh i don't know if it's a balance but the um you know, I understand why the United Nations has such little credibility when it comes to the concern and the argument about it. 
you know that last week among the six resolutions that uh, were passed by the United Nations by rather overwhelming votes, 150 countries, 140 countries, including many of the Europeans, you know that one of them was to demand the return of the Golan. I mean, again, these are annual resolutions. Right. But given all the events in Syria and the killings of the of the Syrian population in the hundreds of thousands, all the other uh, tr- terrible situations and violations of human rights and rights, and et cetera, that are going on there, that they voted that Israel should return the Golan to Syria. They want them to give it to, 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 to Assad now. They want Israel to turn over the Druze population and others to be <laughs> subjected to the same thing. So when people are skeptical, yeah, I understand why. But you have to look at it in its in the broader context and to see what uh, what is feasible, what the timing is. And I think the prime minister is taking lead in trying to play this uh, carefully. But unfortunately, in Israel, domestic politics generally dominate when it comes to often to sensitive uh, decisions. Right. And and you don't want the first crisis a, a new administration to face would be about an issue like this in the Golan. Uh, so even when they say put it off until after January 20th till the new president is in place, um, still you don't want you know the first crisis that they have to deal with to be over this kind of legislation and, and uh, maybe a decision at the United Nations or maybe other uh, measures. That oh, are so, so you're saying that the likelihood that it's going to create some type of reaction at the U.N. or among the enemies of Israel uh, is just as likely after January 20th. Like, there's no reason to suspect it would not, right? Not on their part. The Europeans are very strong on this. And right. You see that the destabilized situation in Europe... Uh, look what's happening in Italy now, mm-hmm. the resignation of uh, Rienzi, you know, it's a loss, the uh, election in, pa- in France, the, um, the the continuing in Britain and, and other countries there, um, and the, the um, still the, the, with France, for instance, facing an election, the Muslim population is 10 times the Jewish population, I think, that the, the political balance could could would lean against Israel and people taking actions and you, that's behind the drive now to have this Middle East peace conference even though Hollande is going out of office in a few months yeah. it's it's almost a, a blind drive uh, for this yeah and we'll talk about that in just a minute it's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored digital radio heard exclusively around the world at NahumSiegel.com, the NSN network and the NSN app. Malcolm Honline is with us. He's executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Weekly update Fridays here at JM in the AM. The um, I, I don't like, and the, the truth is, you've really taken the wind out of the, out of the sail at this point because you've uh, essentially said, you know, you don't think January twentieth is a a date worth uh, paying attention to in that regard in terms of the settlement bill. But in general. Um, it, I think that the rule could be established, and I would guess you'd agree with this, that that Israel should never be following the American timetable, right? I mean, that, essentially, isn't that a good rule of thumb with mm-hmm. with very little exception? Israel has to be sensitive because it is their most important relationship, and, and despite the fact that Israel's isolation is diminished and um, Israel has many more relations in the United States, uh, the United States remains the most important relationship, Yes, I think you're right that too much emphasis and it seems as if, you know, this becomes a license 
on January 20th to do what you want. That's not going to be the case. And while some of the appointments that have been made are people who are uh, supportive, uh, we don't know what, what the dynamic of a new administration is until it's in place and until it's, it's you know, able to find its footing in the, in the positions uh, that they take. Uh, there are positive things like um, General Kelly, who was just appointed uh, Homeland, Homeland Security. Uh, he was the head of the U.S. Southern Command, and one of the things that he really sounded the alarm about and was very proactive was about Iran's efforts to uh, counter U.S. influence and in Central and South America, and he warned often, as you know I've done on this show for years, about uh, Iranian activities in South America, uh, something that did not get the attention uh, till now that it, it really deserves, and the, the sense of urgency about it. They've, they've expanded their footprint, their presence throughout the region from Mexico to, to Argentina. He is somebody who is one of those who is very out front and, and uh, outspoken on it. It's funny, you know, we, we haven't we have not spoken about this in a while. And it was, there was a time where every single week it was coming up in terms of South America and the uh, and the presence there. Uh, you know, but it, it, we fall victim to the same thing. You get tired of trying to knock on everybody's door and banging away at this issue. Right. But we constantly get reports uh, about these activities. They had a bit of a setback with Castro's passing, but Cuba remains Cuba and still the strongest ally and biggest problem of Iran in, in South America. Venezuela, uh, crises, economic crises, and, and since Chavez's uh, passing, um, you know, was somewhat diminished, but that that does not diminish their activities and their the extent of their work, including in Colombia, Panama, and other countries that we generally think are allies and and free of this problem. Back to France for a second. So when so BB already has declared that there's no way he's going to any type of of conference or summit the 21st of December, right? That he's sitting out for sure. The only thing he yeah. the only thing he yeah. agreed to is that if there's an Abbas meeting proposed there, he would go for some type of private meeting, right? And that's, right. He said that he would not attend an international conference, right. but that if there was some sort of other arrangement where he and Abbas meet face-to-face and start talking, that he was prepared to come. So he didn't want to close the door and make it seem as if Israel is rejecting opportunity right. for negotiations. What he's saying is, I'm not going to come into an international setting, which is how the PA is able to bypass the negotiations and to... to um, uh, you know, put them in a situation where meaningful negotiations won't take place, but Israel again takes the brunt and, and the blame. Uh, and, and we saw this week, you know, that Abbas elevated Barghouti, Marwan Barghouti, who's serving five life sentences in Israeli jails. He's a founder of the Tanzin right. militia and the Al-Aqsa Martyrs Brigade. Uh, so he elevated him in, in their central command, even though he, he's, as I said, in, in prison. And we saw the outcome of this uh, conference where it seems Jabril Rajub was a major winner, uh, but the, he is still consolidating his hold uh, and trying to protect his kleptocracy and the financial gains that they have, they have made. But there's a very uh, unstable situation within the, the PA, and uh, just as we've seen, by the way, in Gaza, Hamas and Islamic Jihad were fighting uh, this week, uh, and is, uh, Israelis were training along the Gaza border for a mass infiltration incident because we know the buildup in Hamas and, and, and again, that Iran is supplying them. So uh, Abbas, it, it coming out of this conference, seems to have, again, 
uh, avoided the bullet, that they did not name a successor, um, and there will be a lot of jockeying, despite the Jibril uh, Robert Jube's apparent uh, emergence in a stronger position, able to put key people, allies of his, in, in key positions. It's funny how some names always come up. Bargudi, even you know where he's based, which is essentially an Israeli prison, right? Uh, right. It's amazing the influence he continues to have all these years. I mean, his name has been bandied about for God knows how long. He's number one in in the, the polls. Uh, it comes out usually the best. Uh, and but you know he's able to operate. Israel gives the prisoners a lot of freedom to communicate and to um, um, and and he's become a symbol. And and they keep uh, escalating his uh, his position. And and being in jail, of course, they they make them martyrs. Right. Um, yeah. And. The, and the big issue this week, by the way, which really is coming to the fore, something we've talked about, is the money that is going to uh, the, the terrorists, the $300 million that goes out of the Palestinian budget. Uh, there were senators who today, this week, addressed it. There are others who are addressing it and putting a lot of pressure on the PA that the funding of terrorists, uh, of these murderers, and the more they murder, the more they get, uh, has to stop. And they... they pulled a parliamentary maneuver to have the money come from the PLO. Instead, you know, they would transfer to the PLO and PLO would pay them. Uh, that sham is being exposed, and I hope that the pressure will continue to, to end this practice. You mentioned John Kelly's uh, appointment. Why do you think it's taking so long for the president-elect to uh, choose a secretary of state? Uh, it's a good question. I'm not privy to the inside negotiations, but you know, there are now at least six or seven candidates that are, are being discussed. Uh, I guess some come in and then um, I don't know whether they just get put on a list and they're weighing it. But it's a very important appointment. Uh, he's already appointed three generals, so I don't know that another military person is, is likely. Uh, the question about uh, some of the other names, uh, some of which are very good and some of which I think we would have some concerns about, um, you know, he's weighing it carefully because, you know, this is the nation's chief diplomat, and obviously he wants to see somebody who will have the opinions and the views and be able to represent the United States in the way that, that he envisages it. Yeah. So I think it just, I think that we will see an announcement uh, soon because I think they want to wrap up at least the key positions uh, in the coming week or so. And it must be frustrating for you that the Conference of Presidents was tossed into this whole political arena this week you, you, you can't even go and uh and uh and and uh, host a party at a trump hotel without getting the media all over you these days well it isn't the media I, I think it's very regrettable that certain people used language and took actions which were uh very uh, to say the least unfortunate inappropriate improper um but it's not us. We didn't rent the place. It was the embassy of Azerbaijan, a Muslim country, wanted to do something, a nice gesture, a country that has for 2,600 years hosted Jews without any anti-Semitism, is a key ally of Israel, the prime minister of Israel visiting there these days, and and uh, they rented uh, the Trump home. We had only two conditions, one that had to be kosher, and two, it needed to be near the White House walking distance because the Hanukkah parties are before and after the White House Hanukkah parties, and people who would come from one or go to the other would needed to be close by. So they want, here you have a Muslim country hosting a Hanukkah party, which we co-hosted, and paying tribute to the countries that um, uh, helped Israel during the fires, 
and the the reaction is not only irrational, but for one thing, that you know, saying that this enriches Trump that, or that it's a what did he use the gesture? A gesture to no about the sycophancy that this is somehow oh, right, that, right, that that right. that Trump knows who rents the room for two hours. Yeah. And right now he's still a private citizen. Right now he's not the president, so there's no business conflict of interest. After January 20th, that's a different story. People can make a decision whether to use a facility right now. It's not a conflict, a business conflict. And it's really people who are not willing to accept the outcome of the election and who react in such uh, harsh ways, even against uh, Azerbaijan. I mean, these same people don't worry about going to Cuba and don't talk about uh, the um, far greater violators of human rights and who work against Jewish and Israel interests, whereas Azerbaijan has been, uh, I would say, heroic in that regard. Uh, and, you know, the, the mountain Jews are even mentioned in the Talmud. They've been there for 2,600 years and uh, lived in security. So I have to say it's, I think it's very unfortunate, the politicization and the um, pressures that are being brought to bear. But you know what? You have to be big boys. You have to stand up for what you believe in. I'm not uh, friends in, in Azerbaijan and other Muslim countries who are coming to this event. I think should be saluted and, and thanked for, for this uh, gesture. Every These same people talk about reaching out and building bridges. You know, but it, it's, it's only when they are the control the toll booths and when it's on their terms. And I think, you know, the... Um, some of the public outcry really uh, does not make any sense, and, and it's totally inappropriate language used by those who, who preach civility but don't practice it at times. Well said, Malcolm. Rohani said this week that he will not allow uh, um, Donald Trump to, to rip up the nuclear deal. So my question is, what's his strategy? Is he going to be uh, employing a lobbying group in Washington? Is he is he going to uh, figure out some way to uh, to try to buy off the president? Uh, I mean, what what kind of what kind of uh, role does he think he could have in preventing Trump from uh, adjusting or ripping up the nuclear deal? Well, I I don't think it's necessary to tear up the JCPOA in order to make changes and to make the deal more effective and to you know re- reimpose some sanctions. And it, it, right now he's complaining about the passage of the. Iran Sanctions Act, which was imposed 10 years ago, and as you know, in the Senate passed 99 to 0, in the House 419 to 1, which I think pretty much is a a sign of uh, support, uh, of overwhelming support. Oh, I'd say so. And, and, And so it's the reimposition of those sanctions, and they're claiming that under the agreement that they were not supposed to be renewed. I don't know how that kind of an agreement could have been reached the also the um, you know there's been a lot of discussion about many documents that are not classified but haven't been revealed publicly that talk about the nature of the concessions that talk about many aspects of the JCPOA and the Trump administration's people have been indicating that they will release these documents members of congress have seen them but they've seen them under conditions for instance in closed hearings and things where they can't reveal what uh, what the documents say, but even Democratic senators were calling for for making these documents uh, public, including those some of those who voted for the deal. So the the um, uh, the Iranians are reacting very strongly to the uh, um, uh, uh, to the. 
possibility of, of a change. They're, they went to the U.N. this week and said that the U.S. US will be responsible for any consequences right. of the breach. They keep threatening uh, actions. Um, in fact, Europe this week banned uh, an Iranian airline, Asiman uh, Airlines, when while Iran is busy buying up everything that they can get. And, and, and the Gulf Cooperation Council, which includes Saudi Arabia, met this week, and the Prime Minister of Britain said that they would help uh, push back against Iranian aggression in the region. Uh, and these are the same people who seem to vote in favor of Iran, not the GCC. They won't. They don't. And as you know, 11 countries signed a public declaration against uh, Iran for its efforts to destabilize uh, the governments there. And the, um, the some of the Arab countries, the GCC countries, re- retorted that Britain should outlaw the Muslim Brotherhood, which is using, they say, Britain uh, to organize against them and uh, act as an extension also of, of these efforts to, to uh, undermine the regimes. So the, the, uh, the Iranians have taken a number of actions, including talking about expanding their naval capacity, but having destroyers in the Straits of, of um, Babel Mandab, which I mentioned last week, and we learned more about, but their aggressive behavior. So Congress is now looking about measures and talking of measures that would address not just the nuclear deal. So you don't have to tear up the JCPOA, which might be difficult and put us in opposition, but to strengthen it, to revise it, to add new restrictions and uh, potentially new sanctions against the banking regime, for instance. Uh, I think that the economic benefits Iran got were, were less than people said, but they certainly got a lot of cash and a lot of benefits to the to the leadership. It sounds like you're ready to say to the new president, you know, forget the hype of the Iran deal and, and all those, uh, you know, statements you made. Concentrate concentrate more on what's happening now and addressing Iran's aggressive behavior. Well, I think that's the most immediate thing, and I think that President Trump, has, uh, elect Trump, has did discuss this during the campaign yeah. and talked about the need to take more serious action. And I think that the Iranians react to how strong they think the determination of the other side is. And if they think there's weakness and if they see that they can get away with it, uh, with the many aggressive actions that they've taken against our ships, against other shipping in the Persian Gulf, against um, against uh, our sailors of launching the missiles, the violations of human rights, the aggressive behavior to support for Hezbollah and Hamas, et cetera, et cetera. There's a long list uh, which they've been able to do with impunity. They, they, they need to see a strong reaction to it. And, you know, if they harass our ships, if they threaten our, our uh, um, carriers and our destroyers in, in uh, and their freedom of movement, well, you've got to take a tougher action against it. And believe me, it will only happen once. And, the, the you know, they just probe for weakness, which they can then uh, explore. And, you know, the, the, so much still comes that will come out about the deal and about other things. You know, we saw what Ben Rhodes said, how they lied about right. Rahani being a moderate, et cetera, et cetera. Well, we don't know how much more is beneath the surface there. And why do you suspect that's going to happen? Because it changed the administration. All of a sudden, we're going to discover. Well, first so much of all, more? he said it. I mean, he said it in interviews. He boasted about no, no. how they lied and distorted. no, that I know. But why do you suspect that more will come out now because of the transition in Washington? No, because we have indications that there is a lot more in these documents. Oh, no matter who's in the White House, you're saying that more is just coming out. Simple as that. Right, and that's why I pointed out that Democratic senators were calling for the release of this information and uh, wanting to know all the concessions and saying that this stuff has to be made public. 
Right. Um, we spoke about the settlement bill earlier. Is is all this and the atmosphere that you've described to us this morning, um, you know, some might be fooling themselves into thinking that after January 20th, things are going to be different, let's say, uh, when it comes to attitude toward Israel. Uh, does this does this um, temper the uh, the thought that there'll be more annexing uh, in Israel of, of different areas, uh, Malay Dumim and, and others? I mean, is it... It, are, do we again have to uh, adjust to the fact that as much as people want to celebrate that now Israel is going to be able to get away with certain things, the likelihood is that when it comes to annexing, for instance, there's not going to be much change? Well, don't forget, it's not just what happens in the United States, even though obviously that's the most important right. uh, country in the relationship. But Israel has to be concerned. Uh, Europe is its biggest trading partner Uh and while they're diversifying with uh, Asia, with others, it's still very important. And, um, you know, the, the, there are things that can be done despite what the U.S. position may be, even though the sanctions that count are the ones from the Security Council. But Israel has to weigh a lot of things. In a, when you have volatile situations you have in the Middle East, and we have budding relationships with countries like Egypt, Saudi Arabia, uh, you know, even if some of them are done under the cloak of night, but these relationships are very important in the cooperation that could come, and, you know, th- these countries also have uh, con- domestic considerations to, to worry about and in the, in the reactions. So it's it's not just that Israel can act freely, that people put pressure on the prime minister and saying, why doesn't he do this or that? I mean, you got to be, it, it's all tempered by reality, and, and they have to take into account many considerations about what the, this means. And if you look at the polls in the United States, there, there, there's a lot of concern and uh, opposition. And uh, it doesn't mean that, that we make decisions based on it. Israel has to make decisions based on its national interest. But also we shouldn't make decisions just based on domestic politics. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you, if you listen back to some of the things you said to us before November 8th, it essentially was, you know, don't don't think that, that that the presidential election is going to be the key here. Remember, you were trying to get us to focus on congressional races, mm-hmm. uh, other important races. I, I think if, if we would have realized that Trump had a realistic chance, which, of course, not, I don't think any of us really thought that was going to happen, you probably would have warned us about a similar thing before the election. Don't think just because it's likely he'll win that all of a sudden Israel is going to be able to do whatever it wants. And it seems like that's what... Israel in both the press and among certain government officials is suffering from right now, where they're thinking that all of a sudden the magic of January 20th is going to allow you know Israel to do what it wants without any worldwide negative reaction. And, and, and there are people there who are using this or creating this for their own agendas. Right. And, and you got to look at it in the broader thing. As much as we might sympathize with the goals or, and solve some of this and the concerns that are being expressed, uh, it, it doesn't occur in a vacuum. Again, I think Israel has to do what is necessary for its defense and its rights, and we have to. Uh, uh, um, uh, we understand that there, that there are a wide variety of, of points of view, but I think that the prime minister walks a tightrope mm-hmm. in in all of this. As as you know, he's visiting Azerbaijan, I think Kazakhstan, other countries, and he's going then on a tour in, in Australia and other countries. Well, the reception that he gets and the base on which, you know, Israel's international standing is also impacted yeah. by these things. 100%. Even though the Attorney General in Australia said he would no longer refer to it as occupied territory. Right, which I guess is a victory, right? That's a very important statement. I wish others said it. Um, he has no trip planned to the U.S., correct? I mean, he hasn't announced anything. 
there is no date yet set for a meeting, and it, and it would be premature now. Anyway, and you would, and you would, just, and you would suspect what February, March, I mean, sometime before Pesach, he's going to be here. You would, you'd assume. Uh, well, maybe he'll come for you know. He usually traditionally comes for the APAC conference. Or uh, there'll be other occasions. Right, good point. But you know, they got to wait until everybody finds the bathrooms, knows where everything is in the White House, <laughs> and start really focusing. <laughs> I'm sure that there are a lot of uh, contacts. Uh, between the ambassador here and others and the, and the new administration. Right. And, and finally, with the small number of indictments regarding the fires from a few weeks ago in Israel, is it likely that one can conclude it was more, uh, you know, the, the weather conditions than arson or not necessarily? I mean, there are conflicting reports that uh, still come out about uh, about the causes, and some say it was the majority were because of, of the weather, that once the fire started, right. and it may not have started because of terrorism, but they picked it up when they realized that this, you know, this is, and it, but it's a weapon that has been used before against Israel. And, so, and, and some communities are preparing now because they're, they're convinced it'll be used again. Exactly, and mm-hmm. and so Israel did improve its capacity in, in fighting, but again, needed to turn to, what, 11 countries sending in planes and, and personnel um, to to help, and plus the PA. Um, the uh, And, and you know, the, when they see the incitement continues on, on PA television, um, that when they see the uh, other stuff that's uh, taking place, so Israel always has to be on alert to any kind of new... And manifestations, whether it's the violence or whether it's the, uh, you know, the attacks and and uh, fire is is a tool of arson, yeah. uh, of terrorists. Of terrorists yeah. And um, this is, it, it, you know, it's it's very costly. It's not only took many people's homes. I spoke to people from different areas whose family or themselves, their homes were were damaged, and it will be months before they'll be able to get back in, yeah. and not just from fire, but also smoke damage and. Uh, the general situation, some areas were not habitable uh, yet. Right. All right. Um, uh, White House, a future White House officials keep listening to us every week. Malcolm, we're giving out amazing advice, aren't we? Uh, <laughs> we always do, and we wish them well. We look forward to the next appointments and uh, have a chance to get to know more about those that have so far been uh, uh, been chosen. Yeah. And look, it'll be there are critical decisions ahead, and um, I hope people don't just jump to conclusions, but give the new administration the same uh, leeway or, or opportunity as we would give in any administration. Uh, but I understand that it'll take time till some people come to terms with the outcome. Understood. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful shop. Okay. We'll speak again next week. Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us Fridays here at JM in the AM.